This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today, I've got Jason Ricks in here, and he's going to tell us all about his experience with investing in real estate in the Austin area. Hey, Jason, how are you? Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me on, and it's a pleasure to, to finally get on the podcast. I know you've interviewed a lot of my close friends and that uh, have experience here in Austin, so thanks again. Absolutely. Great to have you, and we can't wait to hear about your experience here in Austin. So, Real quick, tell everybody who you are and how you're involved with real estate investing. Sure. So Jason Ricks, I am a co-founder of the Liberty Real Estate Fund. It is a single tenant net lease fund that acquires properties in Texas and in other markets across the United States to provide a lot of diversity. And it's the first of its kind. What makes it so unique is that it opens up optionality and flexibility to investors that traditionally don't get that when they invest in a private syndication. So real quick for everybody that doesn't understand that, could you explain what a single tenant net lease is? Sure. It is. I'll give you an example first and then I'll kind of give you more of the, the definition. So think about a, a Starbucks drive-through or a McDonald's, right? It's a, it's a standalone building with one tenant occupying it. Traditionally, these are the most lucrative or you know, highly occupied assets when you're driving to and from on major thoroughfares. So just think of it as a usual brand name or a corporate tenant that, that we all know and, and use on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I know those are really attractive to people because those are typically pretty long leases and they're very credit worthy tenants. So you know, a Starbucks probably isn't going anywhere or the same as like a CVS. Although recently I have seen a few CVSs closed in, in different areas, but I think those are pretty stable tenants for the most part. You know, you very rarely see somebody go out of business and you very rarely see them move. So that's awesome stuff. So you mentioned, you know, you get some different benefits from investing in a normal syndication. Could you highlight those real quick? Yeah, sure. So, you know, a traditional syndication, why, the reason why I love it, and I, I invest in, in mostly in, in private syndications as well, there's a lot of, uh, one, you get tremendous cash flow, and that cash flow is tax advantaged. Mm-hmm. And so you get a K-1 statement. So if you compare it with a real estate investment trust that you get on the, in the public markets, right, those, uh, those REITs, whenever they pay their dividends, you have to pay taxes on ordinary income. But what's really neat about a private syndication is you get to take advantage of all the interest deductions, the depreciation. So when you get that K-1 statement and that cash flow, it comes with all these other benefits on top of it. So you, your effective tax rate is, is greatly enhanced uh, when you invest in private syndications. And yeah, that's, no. that's just one of the benefits. Um, obviously, there's ways that you can force um, appreciation or NOI growth that ultimately gives you a higher return versus something in the public markets. Yeah. And, you know, with the more recent tax codes, some of that 
bonus and accelerated depreciation makes that all even sweeter. So um, I'm a passive investor in a few syndications and I just got all my K1s recently. And it was awesome to see all the depreciation that I was going to get just for investing a small amount with these people. It really felt like, how is this possible that I, yeah. I get these many, this many benefits? I get cash flow. I'm going to win on the back end of this thing. And I'm saving a ton of money in taxes all along. It, it's awesome. Well, it's it's a little intimidating at first, isn't it? Because you, you're learning all this, you know, lingo and jargon. And you're just kind of like, well, what does this mean to me? What At the end of the day, what's the bottom line? And once the the light bulb uh, switched on for me. I haven't been able to turn it off. Sounds like you have the same problem. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun. It's it's really cool to see. It just seems like there's just more and more benefits the the more you learn about it. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So, Jason, why do you choose to invest in the Austin area? I know it's it's so hot here, and you know maybe you could make better returns somewhere else. And it sounds like you invest a lot of places around the country. But why Austin or why specifically the Austin area? Yeah, sure. I actually grew up in Austin. Oh, cool. I grew up off of uh, 620 and 183 or for folks that aren't familiar with Austin, um, you know, it's like Northwest Austin, Mm -hmm. right? I grew up there. I started my career as a broker in Austin. I worked for a a smaller firm called Tarantino Properties. Uh, That was a a great time in my life. It It was 2008. So I had to knock literally on everyone's door to try to get into the industry. And I wasn't, you know, I don't come from a well-to-do family. This wasn't handed to me. Um, it, it was tough. I had to go on 19 interviews to, to, to get a job as a 22-year-old in 2008. Wow. But, uh, started off as a broker, uh, did mostly retail, a little bit of industrial and office, and really gravitated towards retail. And so uh, I took that experience and, and moved to Dallas and became an asset manager for a really wealthy individual out of uh, California. Worked for him for for five years. And then I really wanted to go more institutional. So I had an opportunity to work for a very, very large private REIT uh, owned by a a large bank uh, that everyone would know, which I'll keep silent on. But um, I had a chance to be an asset manager over a, a $500 million portfolio that was geared specifically around retail. And we would do brand new developments and things like that. And, um, you know, Austin's still home for me now. So I moved back from Dallas to, to start a family. We just thought the, the environment here was better to raise a family versus Dallas. I love Dallas, but Austin's just really tough to beat, uh, especially on the weekends. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's in my backyard. And, and ultimately, I think what we try to do as sponsors is where can we find a competitive advantage, right? So for me, I, I literally... I'm sure Jordan, you feel the same way, but when I'm driving around now, it's like I'm addicted to this, this idea. I literally have my real estate lenses on 24 (laughs) seven. So uh, I'm in the know, I know the brokers, I kind of know the landlords. uh, I know how the game's played here in Austin. And so it gives us an opportunity to find some really attractive deals, sometimes off market. Mm -hmm. uh, We want to pass on that benefit to our investors. That's awesome. So it sounds like you really started right out of college here in Austin. I'm in the commercial real estate and probably at the, the worst time to get started in the brokerage side of thing, which is 2008, everybody's terrified, um, really hard to get started. What attracted you to real estate investing initially? So you had that real estate bug or at least that real estate mind in college, it sounds like, how did you get that? 
Yeah, you said so, you didn't come from a well-to-do family that was, you know. Yeah, no, totally. Things. It's, um, you know, it's really funny how your parents leave an imprint on you. And mm-hmm. my dad and mom used to invest in single-family homes and duplexes. Oh, cool. Back in like late 70s, early 80s. And at that time, they were like rock and roll, right? They had the, they had a, like a little, you know, a little boat. You know, they just, they really enjoyed that time in their life mm-hmm. about this passive income and all the benefits. And when I came out of college, I wanted to be a football player. So I, I played football at Oklahoma State and um, I didn't make it to the NFL. And so I was kind of left like, what, what do I want to do with my life? And, you know, my parents were like, man, I'll tell you what, we had so much fun in real estate. And like, it's just a great career path if you're good at it and you like it. And if you're a personable guy and you're hardworking, like you can really excel. And so um, I really didn't know what I didn't know. And when mm-hmm. I got into the industry, I just I had so much fun with it. We were, you know, how cool is it to be able to lease up space to these really amazing businesses and be a part of these projects? And then, you know, once you learn about the equity side and, and you're an equity holder in the company, it just, it's tough to put that genie back into the bottle, I guess mm-hmm. The was a way I'd like to say it is once you get going on that path, it's just, it's tricky to think of anything else other than, Hey, how can I build my portfolio of real estate? Yeah. I don't understand how people build it to a certain point and then stop actually don't know anybody that has, I know a lot of people who are financially free and don't need to keep working, but it's, it's almost addicting. They want to keep building and they want to keep, doing more and being better and it's not just about i want more it's not a greed thing so much it's just that it's fun it's a lot of fun no i i totally agree and and um shooting for your goals and and what you aspire to be it just if you enjoy what you do it's just like play right yeah absolutely the way i look at it yeah I, i love every day i can't wait to get up every day and get back to work and just do the things I love. And of course I take time off and do other stuff. Like you said, Austin's great on the weekends. Um, but th- there's always wanting to build and wanting to do better. Great. Yeah. So with your parents, you said they were in real estate in the seventies and eighties. Did they get out or did they just slow down a little bit? Yeah, they, they ultimately got out with, you know, raising my brother and I mm-hmm. and trapped in, the rat race of the nine to five, big corporate job, mm. a lot of stability, benefits, things like that. And I think they regretted it ultimately. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, you know, you build momentum with buying properties, right? You talked about that just a second ago. Mm-hmm. I also think the the opposite of that is true, right? If you if you lose that momentum and you get comfortable in a way or or just kind of remove yourself from that element, it's tougher and tougher to get back in and rebuild mm-hmm. that momentum. So uh, they ultimately, um, they probably overpurchased on a house, to be honest. And that probably shaped me more than anything is to see that financial stress that my parents went through. And, you know, now at this time in my life, I, I want to, I really want to use what I enjoy to add value to other people's lives. And I think, you know, my small little space, right, of, of managing this fund and passing that, all these amazing benefits on to our investors is in a, in a very small way to kind of right that wrong that I saw when I was growing up. Sure. Absolutely. You know, I have a similar story. Uh, my father had a, uh, was investing in real estate, I think before I was born, probably right after I was born, um, sold the house, his first investment after I was born there, didn't get back into it until a few years ago. So he's back in it now. 
that uh, time is your friend with real estate and time sitting around doesn't do too much for you. Yeah. And you know, there's nothing wrong about, you know, being a W2 employee. I don't want to, I don't want to leave that impression. Sure. You know, if you want to invest in your 401k, I think that's great. I think it's an awesome vehicle for most people. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate side of that is you're, you're, you basically are handcuffed. You're mm-hmm. handcuffed a career in that lifestyle. And um, there's a fear that's, that comes with that. And I, I ultimately wanted to take that fear away. Just take yeah. that completely out. Yeah, those benefits are great, but they absolutely are handcuffs, you know, because yeah. if you leave your job, you lose all of your benefits. Um, but, you know, the, the nice thing about real estate investing is if you do build enough passive income, you don't need the benefits. Correct. Yeah. And I think that's the goal, right, is to, to get to that place and and go spend your time and your life on things that are that are equally as important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. So Jason, it sounds like you've been around real estate for most of your career, really. I always like to ask people if they've seen something or if they've seen a bad deal go down and they have any advice for our listeners of things to look out for. Oh, yeah. Um, I can tell you a lot on so many different facets. I'll I'll stick to the high points. Um, One, you got to do your own work. If you're evaluating the deal, know the market, know the numbers. Um, don't trust or assume. So trust, but verify. Mm-hmm. Go through a pro forma a time or two. Um, you know, it doesn't take that long. There's multiple different calculators out there too that can do this. Mm-hmm. And, and just get comfortable with kind of understanding the nuances and the numbers, right? So uh, these guys are projecting, you know, rent's going to go from here to here and operating expenses are going to go down. Okay, that's fine. That's a perfect scenario. Mm-hmm. What, if, what happens if the other thing is true? What happens if expenses go up and rent stays stagnant or goes in the opposite direction? Um, you, a lot of times you're going to be connected to real estate. It's not highly liquid, right? So once you're involved in one of these, you may have to hold it five, 10, seven years, right? Mm-hmm. And you really want to make sure that you're comfortable owning this thing for the long run. Yeah. So make sure that make sure that you understand some of the numbers and the projections. And also understand that, you know, not everything is perfect in a spreadsheet. There's going to be situations, whether it be uh, what I like to call capital expenditures, let's say that maybe a roof needs to be replaced or air conditioning units or foundation repairs. Mm-hmm. So many people forget to leave enough cushion for these mm-hmm. to kind of um, enable the sponsor and investors to weather that storm. And then the last thing, I'm a, I'm a big avid reader. And I, I love reading about financial history and I love reading about past decades and what we're going through today. Um, ultimately, it comes down for me, it's the same issue that I've seen over and over again. Make sure you understand that leverage is great when it works. Mm-hmm. It's the complete opposite, right? It actually, if it accelerates your returns, it also can accelerate your, your negative returns. And so make sure you understand that relationship with debt. Um, I've seen so many people, you know, max out leverage and expect these huge returns because everything's going to be rosy. That That's just not the reality uh, of the situation. It couldn't be further from the truth. And I've looked at so many deals in my career. I've probably done a thousand leases. I, I evaluate hundreds and hundreds of uh, assets a year and I underwrite and uh, I get to see how those things are performing. And ultimately, um, you know, the, the, the common thread is when you just push the levers too much in one direction, 
it, it's going to show a really pretty attractive return. Um, but don't get enamored with the numbers. Do, do your homework. Yeah, I love that. I think more so before COVID, it seemed like to me, but you know, up until, or, or a lot of the times, you see a lot of, of assumptions, hey, rents are gonna keep going up and we're gonna get the expenses down this much and here's how we're gonna do it. It all looks great on paper. Um, it seems like to me that COVID freaked a lot of people out, for at least for a while, and they started getting a lot more conservative in their assumptions, but stuff is never gonna go perfectly. You know, you need to assume things are gonna break. At the same time, especially if you're new, you don't need to be overly conservative. I see that happen a lot with yeah. newer investors that are looking for duplexes or fourplexes and saying, oh, I'm just going to assume I need to replace everything, the roof, the windows, the water heaters. And you say, well, why? You haven't even looked at it yet. Um, or assuming it's going to take three months to rent out. I think you've got other problems if you're assuming these, these crazy conservative assumptions. But like you're saying, on a lot of the bigger deals, I'd say, you know, stuff has been great for the last 12 years or so. And yeah. it's easy to look back and say, this is where rents are going. But maybe, maybe not. We just don't know, you know? You never That's know. That's right. And I love that you're into history too. I, I love looking at just the history of everything. Every severe downturn has been something that's not been seen. Nobody's, everybody says, well, when yeah. are we gonna know when it's gonna happen? You never know, it just happens. Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community, and now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. Yeah, you get these random black swan events, right? Or yeah. one catalyst that sets everything off. Um, yeah. Doubt a doubt. But you made a really, really good point. I was stuck in this place. I think it's worth repeating. You know, no deal is just going to lay out in front of you and say, hey, look, I check all the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> you got to go make the deal happen. And you're going to mm -hmm. make it work. There's never going to be a perfect scenario. And believe me, even when there is a perfect scenario, like in 2009, no one was triggering or buying anything. Mm -hmm. That was an ideal time to buy multifamily and some of these other asset classes. And if you did during that time, you're extremely successful financially today. Mm -hmm. uh, no one was doing it because it was scary. And we didn't know what the outcome was going to be or if the financial system was going to collapse. Um, and so there's a lot of psychology to play on that. And I think the duplex space in particular to me, um, look, you're, you're kind of betting on some appreciation. Now, I... Mm -hmm. Most of my commercial real estate that I look at, I don't have that luxury of, of betting on appreciation. And one sure. of the reasons why is because um, we trade on like, you know, basically cap rates. Mm -hmm. and cap rates are, are closely connected, but not exclusively connected to the 10-year treasury bill, right? So um, if interest rates are really low, cap rates are going to be low. Now, if interest rates go back up, now, there's going to be some correlation. So you may actually have cap rates go up, which thus gives you a lower return. And so I think to be in today's environment, if you're, a, if you're looking at commercial real estate, you have to be very, very objective about where people are anticipating those cap rates to be at in five years from now. 
So if a sponsor is buying a property at a four cap and they're projecting in five years that it's going to be selling at a three and a half or four cap, man, that's a lot of risk on the back end. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would, I would want to be more conservative than that. And I think the days of getting those really clean, easy, you know, plus 20 IRRs or plus 18 IRRs are gone. I, I, I can't make that math work. Not in just when I'm looking at deals today. Yeah. So um, for, I guess, uh, you know, if people haven't been listening to this podcast for too long, maybe we haven't touched on cap rates and how commercial real estate is valued. Could you explain that real quickly for the listeners? I know they hear cap rate everywhere, but I don't know that everybody really knows what that is and how that works for valuations of commercial real estate. Yeah, sure. So um, it's basically, let's, let's use bonds as an example. This is what I like to use when I'm talking about cap rates. Mm -hmm. You've got a junk bond. Let's say your best friend is really, really bad with money, right? <laughs> and he, he needs a loan for some money. Well, you're going to charge him a higher level of interest, right? Mm -hmm more risk associated with that. So you're going to charge them a higher percentage versus mm -hmm. your who's super stable and is going to pay you back within a month. So mm -hmm. you charge your really insecure buddy who's bad with money 8% and your buddy who's really solid 4%, right? So there's, I want to make sure that the higher the cap rate or the higher the interest that you charge, the more risk associated with it. The lower the cap rate usually is going to be the more prime, um, uh, more desirable. And so I use these terms in, you know, reflected in bonds. Like the U.S. Treasury bond is really low. It's under 2% because it's backed by the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. If you go and get a WeWork bond, <laughs> it's probably going to be like 7 8% right now, right? Mm -hmm. With a lot of risk of them going under. And so um, cap rate is just a fancy way of saying how you can evaluate at a very quick snapshot the rate of return if you were to buy a property all cash compared mm -hmm other investment vehicles. And I love your comparison there too, because I think a lot of people don't understand the risk with cap rates too. So you've got a, say a three cap over here, that's Starbucks, single tenant, drive through 30 year lease. And then you've got a 10 cap over here, you know, that's Billy Joe in a mobile home park uh, renting from you. And, you know, he, he sort of has a job sometimes. Um, yeah. Everybody says, well, I want a higher cap rate. And do you really? You know, so yeah. you're taking on a lot more risk and you're probably taking on a lot more work with the higher cap rate. Um, of course, institutional money, I think you talked about institutional money here earlier. They typically want a more secure, less variable return. So they're going to go yeah. for that lower cap rate, you know, just more predictable income where you, yeah. Know, yeah, you can get a 10 cap and a trailer park out in the middle of nowhere, but it's not so secure. A hundred percent. And for this, for your, your buddies that, that are big into stocks, it's like buying stocks on PE. Mm -hmm. That's actually what the cap rate is for real estate, right? Uh, cap rates based on net operating income, uh, PE, you know, based on EBITDA. So um, yeah. So if you look at the PE ratio, it's essentially the same thing as what we're talking about with cap rates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, it's really important to point out because everybody just talks about, well, I want a higher cap rate or I want this and that. And yeah, cap rates have been compressed a lot recently. So you might, you might get a pretty low cap rate for even a, a class C compared to a single tenant net lease. And, and you got to consider, you know, is it worth my risk for that extra couple points? You know, maybe not. 
Yeah, and, and you mentioned earlier about like historical trends, right? So if if cap rates have historically been at five percent for really class A quality assets, and now mm-hmm. they're at three and a half, mm-hmm. where do you think they're going to go? Do you think they're going to go lower or higher? And I love listening to like folks like Ray Dalio and Sam Zell and others. And it's like, dude, they don't even know. So if they don't even know, I can guarantee you that none of us really know. So you have to bake in a level of, you know, just being conservative, Mm -hmm. uh, understanding these things to our point earlier about these black swan events or catalysts that set things into motion. No one can predict it just like we couldn't predict COVID. Has COVID affected the retail space that much in the, the tenants that you're dealing with. So I know you're dealing with probably bigger players. So Starbucks, uh, I just saw their earnings report. They, they did incredibly well. And every time I got in line for Starbucks over the past year, I was waiting for an hour to get a coffee. So isn't it, isn't it fascinating? So I'll, I'll give you a real quick, we used to syndicate shopping centers. Mm-hmm. And we knew that model was a little shaky with a lot of the traditional, what we call anchor or large tenant spaces, mm-hmm. taking on so much debt, like a Kohl's, right? Like, you know, some of these like traditional apparel groups, or, you know, we've looked at some that have like a trampoline park inside. Like there's so much risk associated with that. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm probably conservative to a fault because my whole mindset is like, if I wouldn't invest my mom's 401k money into this, mm-hmm. then I should buy it. So we devised a, um, a thesis that said, why don't we go after essential businesses that are mm-hmm. not impacted by recessions, they're not impacted by the traditional swings of retail. So we focus on very exclusive categories that have performed extremely well during COVID. Now we, we built this model prior to COVID, mm-hmm. but find out it's done really extremely well during COVID. So we, we buy a lot of medical, right? So like a surgery center, um, orthoped, you know, like an orthopedic, you know, you got to get your knee replaced, a, a dentist. Um, if you're like a DeVita, so they do, you know, some kidney uh, dialysis, right? Mm-hmm. So things that are needed and required. Uh, we really like the medical space for a lot of reasons. The other one is like auto service, right? So everyone's going to have to get their oil changed, tires fixed, et cetera. And traditionally in depressed markets, uh, people aren't going to be buying as many new cars. So they're going to be a lot more on maintenance. Oh. Like gas stations. We feel like more people are going to be traveling by car than via by, you know, flying, especially for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. If we do get into a recession, even more people are going to be traveling by car than by air. So we really like that subset of categories. And then daily needs like uh, grocery, for example. Um, we also like, you know, depending on the pharmacy and the location, we really, really like drive-through pharmacies, mm-hmm. great corners. Um, and all of these tenants are backed by what's called institutional or, you know, great credit, um, or we just refer to it as corporate credit. So, mm-hmm. you know, billion dollar market caps, right. Is really the tenants that we're going after. And because of that, they produce a really, really steady, return on your investment, but they don't give you these really extreme pops either. You're not, you don't invest in the space and expect to get a 20% return on your money. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, yeah, you're a student of history. The people who are conservative and make conservative bets are typically live to fight another day. So I love the story about Warren Buffett. He didn't make most of his wealth until he was after 65 
because of compounding, but because yep. he's been at it for so long and he's been conservative for so long, he's been in the game and over a long period of time. He's one of the richest people in the world. So if you're too risky, you're just trying to jump at it and get rich quick. Even in real estate, there's lots of people out there trying to make it big quick. And I think that can end up biting you in the future. It, I totally agree. And I'm a huge believer in diversification. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm a field goal kicker, so I'll use a, a field goal kicking analogy. You know, if I'm kicking a 25-yard field goal, I don't need to try to kick it like I'm kicking a 60-yard field goal, right? Mm -hmm. So having this, having this portfolio where you have some super stable product as maybe a bedrock or something that you know is going to pay the bills gives you the opportunity to go out and probably take on a little bit more risk, right? And then you can kind of look at a blended return. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're thinking holistically about building out a portfolio, I think, um, look, a lot of people historically have used bonds to be that, that equalizer in their mm -hmm. portfolio. The problem today with interest rates as low as they are, I mean, junk bonds, junk bonds, man, are below 4%. Corporate credit bonds are below 3%. Okay, so where are you going to go if inflation is targeted by the Fed to go up? I mean, you're basically just breaking even on a 3% bond. So we, we look at our product as a far superior product to the fixed income world. No, I really like that stuff. So, you know, what's one thing you'd tell a newer investor that's looking to invest passively or is just looking to invest in something like what you do? Yeah, um, make sure that, you know, if you're looking at a sponsor, you know, Look at their educational stuff. I guarantee you they're going to be on a podcast. They've done some kind of presentation. They've written articles. Um, or feel free to call them. You know, everyone that I've invested with, I call them and talk to them. Mm -hmm. Understand the, the detail on it. I want to, I want to understand their, their logic and, and uh, fully being transparent on the fees. There's a lot of fees and there's a lot of terminology that's being floated out. Don't feel like you're asking any dumb questions. Just if I guarantee you, if you feel like you have a dumb question, it's been asked a hundred times and you shouldn't ever feel that way. Um, if you're not a professional talking about real estate day and night, this is all going to be new in some, some form or fashion. So just make sure to do your homework and um, talk with a sponsor, read up on their stuff. And when you feel good, know that, you know, right or wrong, you're going to be probably associated with that investment for, for a longer period of time. And, and, um, and just, just understand that and uh, communicate with the sponsor what you're looking for. Yeah, that's awesome advice. Yeah, I, I've only invested people who I've met in person, or sorry, invested with people who I've met in person. Yeah. Um, and I just, I trust their character. I understand who they are. I know people who know them well. Uh, I, know, I know them well. Um, there's all these reasons why I just wouldn't invest with somebody I hadn't met, understand how they do things, understood what they do. Um, and yeah, again, COVID's almost over here, I believe. And I think we will have a chance to go back to conferences. We were talking about that a little bit before we got yeah. on here. So if you're looking to be a passive investor, go to conferences, meet these sponsors. Uh, like you and I were saying before we got on here, it's a small world. These people are Absolutely. out there. If you go to the Best Ever Conference, the Old Capital Conference, if you, and there's a bunch of other ones you can go to and you'll meet a lot of these people who sponsor this stuff. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here, and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, 
That would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. I totally agree. There's so many different ones. I, Hunter Thompson's been a great resource of education for me. Mm-hmm. The real estate guys have been a great education resource for me. And, and look, I was telling Jordan before I got on, I'm not just, you know, boosting him up here. I'm invested with, you know, I didn't know Jordan. You know, I, I knew of him, but I didn't know. Him. Like I was looking at all his podcast guests. I've invested with a few of them. And that's <laughs> because I have real relationships with them, right? So yeah. I think you had like David Thompson and Reed and, and Andrew and, and Matt Tyfe, others on. I mean, I've invested with a lot of these guys. So uh, Bruce is another one, Peterson. So um, look, Jordan's podcast alone has great information. Yeah. And you um, just pop in a podcast, go, you know, go walk with your kid or work out or whatever. Or if you're working, just kind of listen to it. You're going to get some of that information. Mm-hmm. Um, you can fast forward through mine if you don't like it. That's cool. But uh <laughs> But seriously, there's so much good stuff that he has alone on his podcast. Yeah, just, I love that advice. Just get to know people. Um, If you don't feel like all of your questions are answered, probably not the right investment for you. Um, But they're not as scary as they seem like they would be. You know, I know giving somebody 50 grand seems really scary. You're like, I don't know this guy that well. I don't know where my money's going to go. It's not so scary when you're investing in a single family house because you can go and reach out and touch that house. A lot of times these syndications, you can. But a good sponsor is going to update you monthly or quarterly and you're going to know what's going on and you can listen to all their podcasts and hear what they're doing all the time. So it doesn't have to be scary. Just learn about it and you'll be in good shape. 100%. Yep, that's great advice. So... What is your best advice for people looking to get started investing in Austin? Maybe they don't have a lot of money. Uh, they don't have 50 grand to place with you or hundred grand to place with you in one of your investments. And they just want to get started investing. Maybe they've got 20 grand saved up at the bank. Yeah, no, totally. I, I think um, in Jordan, I, I've looked in, I've looked on um, your bigger pockets or bigger pockets um, profile, right? I think bigger pockets for me, before I had the money to invest um, myself, I, I listen to a podcast a day every time I work out. Nice. And you're going to find a lot of sponsors on there. And then, you know, we also, Matt and myself, we started a meetup in mm-hmm. Austin. Um, or reach out to people like me and Jordan and be like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, I'm interested in 20,000. I mean, look, I guarantee you, Jordan and I would love to help you out with mm-hmm. that. Like, if you call me or like, hey, I really like this niche, do you know of anyone? I guarantee you, we could connect you with those folks. Um, there's so many different groups and people that are out there looking for these things. And uh, look, not every syndication is right for each investor, right? Mm -hmm. These require significant uh, down payment investments, and they also have to be accredited investors, which is, you know, you have to make the last two years over 200K. Not a lot of people will have that, Mm -hmm. um, but there are plenty of, plenty of opportunities. I think, um, for example, I think Reed, and Andrew and, and David Thompson, they they have uh, a few syndications that are available to non-accredited investors, and and sometimes the limits are up to, to a minimum is twenty five k. Yeah. Um, to your point, Jordan, that you made earlier, man, go do some duplex deals. Yeah. Right? Go get a triplex. Do it on your own. Try to make it, right because you're going to get so much knowledge. I think people kind of forget this. Gain the experience. 
I guarantee you will pay dividends. Go out and try to evaluate some deals on your own. I guarantee you will be you'll be six, more successful in the long run by actually going through that exercise. You'll be able to underwrite things better. You kind of understand the nuances. Um, and if you don't want some, if you don't want all the management headaches on it, hire a management company. There are plenty of them out there looking for work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. And yeah, there are a lot of syndications now that require a lower down payment. I know a lot of them are going to uh, 25 grand or so and, and you can get in. Um, just get I, you know, I like uh, Realty Mogul Fundrise mm-hmm. for every level investor is such a good, such a good value proposition. I, I, uh, I talked to Fundrise and Realty Mogul when they were first going live. This was, uh, this is back when I was in Dallas. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a tremendous way to get exposure. Yeah, those are as low as a thousand dollars on some of them, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. yeah, just try it out. You know, see if you like it. Now you're not going to get all of the amazing benefits of the private stuff, but that's okay. You know, learn how the reporting is done from a high, you know, very professional level, and and read the reports. And um, look, you could dollar cost average into some of those deals or funds, and just get exposure to uh, to these private deals. Yeah, I love that. Uh, that's a great way to get in. Obviously, buying your own is a great way to get in. You can do that with low down payment strategies using house hacking or partnering. Um, but yeah, Fundrise or Realty Mogul, two great ways to get into it. Um, and you can invest here in Austin. I've seen, of course, Fundrise advertises very well. I mean, see yeah. ads saying, hey, invest in this asset in Austin. You know, you put a thousand dollars in and you own a piece of Austin and wherever it's going. So that's awesome. Yeah, a hundred percent. Jason, uh, I don't think we've talked about books too much. Do you have a favorite business or mindset book that you like to recommend? Oof. Um, got so many. Um, <laughs> my, my favorite book, that the book that really kind of got me started in all this was Eckhart Tolle, A New Earth. Um, I, I, I think it, it talks a lot about the ego. There's a little Zen teaching um stoicism that's in that one as well i i think it's if you have to be in the right headspace to be able to want to read it um if you're looking more professional i love love ray dalio's principles book yeah um you know talking about that second and third level decision making has been so critical for me Mm -hmm. Um, i love both of those books those are the first come immediately to mind yeah ray dalio's book is really good Um, yeah Pay attention when you're reading that because there's a lot in there. Okay, Jason. So how can people reach out to you and get a hold of you if they have more questions? You know, what's uh, yeah. to, about your funds or about what you're doing here in Austin or anything about that? No, absolutely. So we put out a ton of free educational content, both video and articles. Um, we're at multiple conferences, but you can get all of this information from our website. It's uh, Liberty Fund. .io. So libertyfund.io. Um, we just, we're pretty transparent. You know, we don't try to hide anything. We put everything out there for people to digest. And, and one of our biggest uh, pillars of our, of our business is about education. Um, we love giving back. So um, even if you're not in, interested in investing, you just want to kind of learn more about the space, you know, we have tremendous resources on our website for you. Awesome. And what's that meetup you and Matt put together? Oh man. So this was a, this was probably four years ago. Um, okay. We we put together a meetup. Um, it, it really we, we found out there wasn't one through Bigger Pockets, and so mm-hmm. thought, well, hell, let's go ahead and start one. And if you know Matt, I know you do. Matt's a yeah. high energy guy, and so mm-hmm. 
from there, we kind of met and we we talked about how we can do some deals together with this one group. And then we we chatted with Bruce and we chatted with David Thompson and all these other guys. And we got interconnected. And um, then we just got really busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but no, I mean, look, everyone's always looking for a meetup. Um, you know, there's great opportunities through Bigger Pockets or other websites like it. Uh, I'm a part of uh, CCIM here in Austin. Um, there's ICSC here if you're interested in retail. ULI is another really big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, OMA, um, you name it. So there's there's just there's a lot of great educational um, sources here if you if you're ever interested. Yeah, just browse meetup.com and you'll find a bunch. People yeah. are starting to get back together in person too, so you don't have to sit there on Zoom the whole time. You can actually meet people face to face. Great way to do it. Yeah. All right, Jason. Last question here, probably our most important question. What is your favorite restaurant in Austin? Oh man, it's changed. The landscape has changed so much over the years. And I work a lot with restaurants, so I'm I'm sure I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this. But um, look, without a doubt, I, I love the experience of um Immer and Rye in Uchiko uh at the bar. So Immer and Rye is probably my number one. It's off Rainy Street. Okay. Um, everything's homemade Italian. They have this, uh, dim sum cart that they roll out. I don't know if you've ever been there, No. but, um, yeah, I mean, they, the chef and their team has won all kinds of accolades and awards, um, across the nation for that restaurant. So definitely check it out if you're new to Austin or if you're coming to visit. And that's on rainy. It's on rainy street, huh? Oh, wow. Okay. I will have to check that out. I have not been, um, we've been trying to get into Uchiko, but every time we look, they're booked up until like nine or 10 o'clock at night. We don't really want to late, wait that late to eat. So yeah, we'll no, I totally soon. hear you gotta, you gotta plan ahead for both of those. And there's like, I do this often, but like special occasions, I'll go out and go to one of these restaurants and uh, just have fun. Absolutely. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Jason. Again, if you guys need any of Jason's info, that will be in the show notes. So just look in the show notes at the bottom of the podcast. Um, again, one more time with that website there, Jason. Yeah, sure. It's libertyfund.io. .io. So make sure you put .io and not .co or .com. Um, libertyfund.io. All right, Jason. Had a, so much fun today. I really appreciate meeting you. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Jordan. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, best of luck with the podcast and, and all the fun real estate market stuff that's going on in your space. I know it's <laughs> crazy i was gonna we were gonna talk about single family homes but i figured like that's probably a whole separate podcast in itself yeah it's a different different beast right now yeah all right thank you so much you have a great day you too take care